Thank you for downloading this episode of the Final Third Podcast. It's going to be an amazing show. We talk about an incident that involved some racial slurs in the Portland Timbers and Minnesota United game, a really important conversation Jack and I had. We also talk about the U.S. Women's National Team Olympic roster being dropped. Yay! We talk about some Euro action, some changes going on with the away goals, all, all that kind of stuff, as well as give some predictions for this upcoming week's big matches. And yeah, with that, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Final Third Show to stay updated. Follow us on wherever you listen to us on whatever podcasting platform it is. And enjoy the show. Hello and welcome back to the Final Third podcast. My name is AJ Tabura. I am one of your co-hosts. I am a fan of Minnesota United, West Ham United, and the U.S. national teams. And for this Euro tournament, I am cheering on the Czech Republic and Finland. Finland are out, so I'm all for Czech Republic right now. I am joined by a very tired, very jet-lagged, very altitude-sick Jack. Jack, how are you feeling? And where are you at? This is a different background that I'm looking at. Yeah, I mean, I'm at a hotel room in Colorado, so that that's fun. Uh, I'm going to be here for like a week, so that we're this is the first time I think we're recording in different time zones, so that's kind of yeah. fun. Uh, just kind of seeing the sights since you know you can travel a lot easily easier now. Yeah. So Jack, obviously your audio is a bit different, so we do apologize right. if it's lower quality. It's going to be a lot better in the future. Hopefully, we record in person because I. Uh, uh, I'm I'm building a, a setup for us in person, so I'm I'm really excited for that. But Jack, like, wh- why are you in Colorado? And have you seen the Colorado Rapids Stadium? What's going on here? Are, are, are you are you are you looking at the the greatest stadium in MLS history? Uh, I mean, that would be Allianz Field, and I've seen that. Yes, 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 yes. So, yeah, uh, but no, I, I haven't seen the Colorado Rapids Stadium, but I have seen uh, what what's it called? Uh, it's not Inspire Field. It's it's the it's the uh, Denver Broncos Stadium. Yeah, it's like a US mile high stadium, something like that. Cup. Yeah, right. I, I don't remember what it's called, but I saw it. I saw where we won the Gold Cup, so that's pretty cool. And Nations otherwise, League, actually, just oh, right. The Gold Cup's coming soon. Coming yeah, soon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nations League, though. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, and then just in Colorado, just to have fun, I guess. I'm, <laughs> yeah, I mean, Colorado's Colorado's a cool state. Not as cool as Minnesota, both literally and figuratively, but. We're we're glad you're having, I'd say, a little time off from what you're doing, getting some vacation time. A little bit, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, we're, we're, I'll be even happier when you're back and we're recording in person. But let's get into the show. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Final Third Show. We have some news stories that we want to talk about in the newsroom, which is the segment where we have an open end discussion about all the big, big stories in world soccer. And we're going to open it up with kind of a serious one, uh, kind of one that we've talked about something like this before, but it's never really uh, been as close to home, per se, as right now. And I'll, I'll stop just alluding to it, and I'll mention that it is the uh, Franco Fracapane racial incident that happened in the match between Portland Timbers and the Minnesota United. Jack and I are both Minnesota United fans, so it is especially hard to hear uh, that one of our players 
allegedly used a racial slur against Portland Timbers' Diego Chara. And so I'll just quickly go over the details and I'll throw it to Jack. This is still a developing story. So this is what we know right now as of 9.04 p.m. Central Time on Sunday. Uh, Last night in the Saturday game in MLS, the 65th minute uh, in the Portland Timbers and Minnesota United match, the play was stopped and referee Resend Mendoza spoke with both Diego Valeri, who is the captain of Portland Timbers, Diego Chara, and Minnesota's Will Trap and Michael Boxel, who is the captain for Minnesota. And it was reported that Minnesota's new Argentinian winger, Franco Fragapane, used a racial slur against Diego Chara, who is a black Colombian. The referee decided to continue play after a couple of minutes of discussing with both sides. MLS is investigating, and Minnesota has started stated that Fragapane has denied using any derogatory language of any kind. That's where we stand right now with this entire situation. I'm going to throw it to Jack right away. I don't even know what to ask you, Jack. This is such like a, a, a weird situation considering that it, it is literally our favorite club dealing with this. And we really haven't had a huge race, racism event in MLS since obviously the George Floyd protests last year. So how are you just feeling about this in general? Well, it's obviously a really bad thing. Like uh, just, just right off the, off the bat, like, I mean, uh, there, there's been a lot of discussion online. If like, you know, if you, if you should make any conclusions right away, but you know, just for the benefit of everyone, I think it's better if we just start with the premise that it was said, or at least something offensive was said and then go from there. And there, there's been a lot of discussion on that. I think, I think you know, I, I want to know more details on it, but I also think there, there's my immediate reaction is there's got to be some kind of penalty, even, even if it's just by Minnesota themselves saying, okay, here, here's what we're going to do. We're going to suspend you voluntarily for like two games, and we're going to, you know, take, have you take like a diversity and inclusion course or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that there has to be some kind of action taken right away, even before like all of this other stuff. But given that Minnesota United had released that statement that says he denies it, I don't think anything like that is going to happen, which is unfortunate because I think it should be given the, the reputation Minnesota's kind of built up uh, surrounding issues on race and racism over the past year or so. Yeah, I, I, I've taken some... Uh, not offense, but some some issues with how Minnesota United has decided to deal with it. Jack and I have we talk about racism all the time and homophobia and sexism because that's something that really affects not just soccer, but as you know, two people of color affects us pretty directly. And so to see Minnesota United with their statement, you know, it, it was better than some. I will say there have been some statements saying like, oh, this player denies it, but we're going to do whatever, 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 whatever. But Minnesota United was like, yes, obviously we don't stand for racism. But at the same time, they had a certain sentence that at its core was saying, he said he didn't do it. And they just like threw that in. And for what reason, really? Right. They didn't name him. They didn't name the victim. It was very vague. And so any person that really cares about the situation didn't really get anything out of that. That was, that wasn't just like a very like corporate uh, speak for we're handling it behind the scenes. And yeah, I I take kind of an issue with that because 
this isn't just a, possibly a red card offense and the, this is a statement after a red card offense. This is an actual like racist event that happened. And for a lot of people of color that are fans of the team, including us, you know, to see a team that not really taking it as seriously as we wanted to, it really personally affects us. And I, I don't even know what to say about that. Like, that, that. That's really rough. Jack, do you have, do you have anything to, to say about how Minnesota United have personally handled it or even how like the referee handled it, like when it was happening? Oh, well, the referee handled it terribly, handled yeah. it terribly, you know? Yeah. He, he stopped play for three minutes. But if, if something happened, you stop play, you go to any evidence you have and then decide if it's a red card or not, or, or if the game should even go on. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it, it's really easy. Like we've yeah. seen it happen before uh, between what was it? PSG and Istanbul, Basakesh yeah. like we, We've seen and, that happen before. And, and can I butt in for just a half a second? But we've also seen this really recently in like the Nations League when they, when they stopped right. play after the fans were saying homophobic slurs. But yet he can't pause play for more than three minutes because an actual player said something. That's, I don't know, right. that, that, that's kind of crazy to me. Yeah, I mean, it, it's they, they surely handled it poorly. And, you know, Minnesota United as well, like you said, really corporate response, not really giving it any details. I, I feel like, you know, they, they kind of missed a big opportunity to make a lot up after being silent on it for quite a while. Uh, like, you know, it, it was a solid 12 or so hours after mm-hmm. the event that that statement came out. So, but the other thing is uh, that I'm wondering about is whether this is a scenario more like, uh, you know, the Edinson Cavani situation in, uh, in the Premier League. Because, like, they're, they're, uh, I mean, it's not a, it's not a perfect, uh, like, you know, uh, one-to-one comparison. Yeah, yeah. But he used, yeah, he, he used a, a statement that is offensive in England, but then, uh, but back home for him isn't offensive at all. So I wonder if it was, like, something like that. But given uh, Diego... Uh, Chara's response. I'm guessing it wasn't. And, uh, you know, I, I feel like it, it probably wasn't like that. But if if it was, still think there has to be at least a suspension. I think like an absolute minimum is like a suspension for five games, I think is, is probably good. And yeah. like at an absolute minimum and a fine. And mm-hmm. I also think taking a course or taking something on diversity and inclusiveness and just like cultural awareness, I guess. Yeah. Or like something like that. I'm not sure what the exact right word is, but there's got to be some kind of statement saying like, okay, here's what you did. Here's why it's wrong. Here's how you fix it. Because yeah, it's got to, you just got to do better. Yeah, he really does. And obviously we don't know all the details. We don't know if really, if he, actually said it i mean he denies it but under the pretense that why would diego chara lie we assume that this something at at minimum was said and so therefore some minimum action needs to be taken i would like to see him at least like you said voluntarily taken out of team practice or like out of team activities i think it would be a very very bad look for Minnesota United to like post a training picture with him in it after all of this is happening. And depending on like how severe uh the the incident was, I'd like to see it like 
changed, like the punishment changed based on that. And really, when you look at it, like this, this investigation really needs to be thorough. This is probably the, the, the biggest publicized case of open racism in MLS since the George Floyd protests. And we tweeted about it. We gotten a lot of attention for it. But MLS and Minnesota United have been championing anti-racism for the past year, especially because with Minnesota United, the George Floyd murder was in our backyard. It was in Minneapolis. And so from the very beginning, MLS uh, supported black businesses, black organizations. They supported Black Players of Change, which is a coalition of black players trying to incite change in education with uh, supporting black players and getting more black coaches in the league. And with, with Minnesota United, obviously, they've been talking about George Floyd for the past year. They would kneel before the match. They try to raise funds for black organizations. And they tweeted a memorial to George Floyd after nine minutes in pretty much every single match last year. And not only that, but their social media has been very open about making sure that their their space as a team was open for LGBT and black bodies. And that, that is obviously so important for, for the fans. And they have been the champions of anti-racism. They've been championing change. And to see them potentially, we still have yet to see like their full actions because it's, you know, it's still Sunday, but to see them not really take action kind of makes it seem, unfortunately, that perhaps all of those things, all of those posters that they sent out, all of those, all of the social media posts that they sent out was almost corporate with how it was. Like they were like taking advantage of the situation. And even if the social media team and the marketing team is rightfully progressive with their viewpoints, the fact that the team themselves can't put the, their money where their mouth is is kind of disappointing. Uh, Jackie, you're a, you're, you're a poli-sci major. What do you think about how Minnesota United is handling, handling this specifically when you look at how they have dealt with the George Floyd murder? Like, what would you do right now if you were, uh, if you are our owner? Well, I mean, first of all, like right away, you, you've got to make a statement saying okay here's what happened or what supposedly happened uh you, you've got to you've got to be clear and make sure that that statement isn't vague or in any way name the players that are involved and say okay here's what we're going to do fragapana you're out of team training for a few days until until or at least or maybe even until this investigation is over and from from then on out you uh you just you know you can handle it behind the scenes sure as long as the first initial thing is open and and not vague about what you're talking about, mm-hmm. so I, I think I think the first thing had to be making a better statement about it because it's not like you know it was a minor thing that barely anyone saw. No, it was it was a major thing that everyone saw. Really, so everyone saw something happen. So you, you've got to make a better statement in this kind of scenario. And like, especially when, when all of your supporter groups are calling you out on it too. Right. Exactly. That, that's when you know that you've made a really big mistake on it. Like you got, if, if you want to align yourself with anti-racist causes and like uh, all of that kind of stuff, 
then show it when it matters mm-hmm. because otherwise it feels completely like it, like you said, completely corporate. And you know, that that's not what, that's not what the fans want. That's not what the supporters want. And, you know, after all of the stuff with the super league and against like owners being like only there to make profit off of supporters and stuff like that. And only, uh, and not looking out for the culture of the club. This is, this is even worse because you're already on that wave of like anti-ownership or like type stuff. And then you pull something like this after a year of like really trying to elevate those kinds of things. Like as, as much, as much as like, you know, you can do as much good as possible in politics, business, anything. But if you, if if like you discontinue that for any reason because of like, you know, something that someone in your own corporation did or own team, whatever, then it all goes away. All that goodwill you built up goes away. Yes, exactly. I, speaking from my own personal experience, I was planning to buy tickets for Minnesota United versus San Jose. It's going to take some of my friends out uh, to the match and see hopefully us trounce San Jose like we always do. But after this, I'm I'm having serious reservations because I'm like, I don't want to support the team right now while they are not doing their due diligence with a racist incident. Like that, that's not where I want to align myself as a person because obviously this matters a lot to me. And I, I know that there are some fans, I, I will end it off on this. A, this isn't a reflection on the fans of Minnesota United. A lot of Minnesota United fans, most of them, there, there's, there are obviously some uh, very bad examples out there, but a lot of the supporters groups, all the supporters group actually have called Minnesota United out saying that they need to do better. A lot of the fans, including ourselves, have called them out. It's not a reflection on the players as well. I don't think it's fair to call Minnesota United as like a, a, the group of players racist when you have the likes of Ikopara, Jacory Hayes, Romain Metnier doing a lot of work with black players for change uh, over the past year. I think that's really important to remember. Yes, we have Brent Coleman, but at the same time, Jack and I also don't want him here. So I don't know. And B, I, I, I really want to be careful with this. So we do due diligence with this incident. I, 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 I don't want him to get suspended if he didn't say it, obviously. That goes without saying. But I also don't want to like sweep this under the rug. That's the most important thing. Because like, I know a lot of Minnesota United fans, they want this to be uh, gone from their memory because they want to win. But there's, there's bigger things than than soccer like honestly if if we lose every single game from here on out for the rest of the season that matters less to me as a supporter than keeping him on the team if he said something like that it's been like especially bad because it's just the game that of 22 players kicking a ball around for 90 minutes like the biggest thing in the world is making sure that everyone is welcome everyone is equal that matters more than a 90 minute game of soccer. And that's where I'll leave it. Jack, do you have anything else before we get into some Euro talk? No, I think, I think you covered it all perfectly. Like you really summed up what fans are feeling. And, you know, if, if, uh, you know, you know, you want to wait for an investigation to go through fine, but don't like disguise like your 
gen generally racist comments in like saying, oh, we need to wait for an investigation, not uh, to to say anything about it. Don't yes. hide your your just uh, your what's what's the right word? Your kind of uh, willingness to let it slide, let racism slide, go yeah in mass does this like goodwill justice effort no exactly don't, don't do that exactly and uh yeah with that let's go on to the euros we'll probably give an update a short update next week or this thursday about the event but let's talk about something a bit happier something that uh well sometimes there's sadness in this it's the euros we took a break from talking it last thursday but we're gonna go talk about the group stages how they uh ended and talk about how the round of 16 is going where it's going to go from here on out and yeah we'll, we'll go group by group we'll, we're going to talk about the story of each group kind of telling you the big story out of each of these groups what happened here the big narratives i suppose you could say i'll start out with group a and then maybe we could trade off and you can add something as well jack but with group a uh it ended with italy being on top i believe switzerland got second and wales third Ooh. Swap that around. Swap that swap around. That around. <laughs> Wales second. So yeah, yeah. With Switzerland third and Turkey getting zero points as well as conceding eight goals. Not a great showing from them at all. I think the big story out of here would have to be Italy being very, very good. Italy were dominant. They got seven goals for and zero against. They eventually did concede in the round of 16, but this is a very dominant win of the group for them they were able to rest some of their players in the third group match. Like that just shows how, how much they just own group a and not a lot of people were touting them to be as dominant as they were. And second to that, I would have Turkey being disappointing. We had them both as being our dark horses of the tournament. They crashed out. A lot of that was kind of an over-reliance on Barack Ilmaz in the attack. Weren't able to get, too many attacks going from the midfield going forward and really this is just a pathetic performance from a team that should be doing well jack do you have anything else to say about group a yeah well to sum it up for turkey uh they they were so uh underhyped that they eventually became overhyped right and yeah it, it was it, it was a quick turnaround also i'd like to add wales were a lot better than i think most people were expecting because, you know, they, I even said in our preview, this is a squad of championship players. They're going to finish bottom of the group. Apparently, you know, if, if they play well, then it doesn't matter if they're from the championship or from the Premier League. All that matters if, is if they win, which exactly ultimately that ended in the round of 16 in pretty shocking <laughs> fashion. But, you know, it, it, they had a good enough performance in Group A. Yeah. All right. Well, Jack, why don't you talk about Group B a little bit? What were what was the big story or the the narrative that you saw in Group B? Well, the big one obviously has to be around Denmark, because yes. you know in the first in the second day of the Euros, really, uh, Christian Eriksen, of course, had a cardiac arrest. He's he has recovered now. He's out of the hospital. He has an uh, a defibrillator inside of his, uh, of his heart that will automatically restart it. I believe there are wow. a few other players who are playing with that daily blend from the Netherlands. Yep, uh, that is correct. Specifically. So he could still be playing at, at maybe not at the highest, highest level, but he could still be playing professionally, which would be fantastic mm -hmm. to see again. But the big part about that is how they rallied after, because 
they were a little bit disappointing after that. Of course, they had to play right after uh, that happened, and Finland beat them. And then they uh, lost to Belgium in a game that they dominated them for one half, but then couldn't keep KDB quiet. And then they just absolutely exploded. The quality shone through in that game against Russia. Masterclass, really. It was was beautiful. Like a a fantastic goal from Poulsen, from, shoot, I'm going to forget some of them now. Uh, from Damsgaard from outside the area. Christensen actually, had that uh, rocket. I was about to say, yeah. yeah. My, uh, the Danish Maldini, uh, <laughs> as, as Chelsea fans are calling him. Uh, and then, of course, Joaquin Myla from Atalanta scoring a, a fantastic goal as well. Like it, it was a dominant performance from them, and they fully deserved it. And it was great to see them go through, as most people were predicting them to. Uh, and then the other story of this group is Belgium, with KDB is a different beast. Without without him, they were fine against Russia, but they struggled against Denmark. But then he came on, completely changed it. Against Finland, came on, completely changed it. Mm-hmm. He changes that team so much. And even though Belgium progressed through to the quarterfinals, they lost KDB to injury again. Yeah. And I'm I if I if I'm a Bel- if I'm rooting for Belgium, I'd be a bit worried about that. Because yeah. they are definitely a, a gear lower without him in the team. Mm-hmm. Not, not just KDB, but oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Not just KDB, but Eden Hazard was also lost in the round of sixteen matchup. Right. So not really looking great for them. Uh, I don't really have much to add. I mean, the Group B was a very interesting match, uh, a gr- interesting group, I should say. And if there's one thing I want to point out, it's the fact that second through fourth finished with three points, all of them. It was a very, very close, close group that ultimately got decided on the last day and in pretty some dramatic fashion. So really enjoyed that. Uh, moving on to Group C, the big story that I want to say, well, there's, there's two, there's one smaller one. I just want to say North Macedonia, their first major tournament, they, they play their hearts out. Pandev got the, the first goal after you know being literally older than North Macedonia as a country. So uh, that's crazy. Uh, I'm, I'm, they should ha- be proud. North Macedonians should be proud over their team. The Netherlands should also be proud over their group performance. They crashed out today early against uh, the Czech Republic, so they shouldn't be proud about that. But their group performance, eight goals for, two goals uh, against, pretty dominant, attractive football, honestly, getting played against Austria and Ukraine. I was saying to Jack that... You know, he picked Netherlands to be the the disappointing team of the season, the the season, the the group. Uh, however, they got nine points, and I was like, Jack, you know, I don't know, nine points is nine points. He's like, well, it's Australia, Ukraine, North Macedonia, like, like whatever, whatever. He was right. I was right. <laughs> they topped the group, but for for what? You know, for what? It, it didn't really get them much if you're not gonna at least make it to the quarterfinals. Jack, do you have anything else to add about Group C before you head on to uh, Group D? I mean, Austria, I do want to talk about them. Oh, yeah. Because, uh, you know, uh, we had another incident of what we were talking about with Fred Apane, uh, a racist comment by Arnautovic, with only a one-game ban for that. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's interesting. But Austria looked very good in, in in this uh, in this one, they also played very well against Italy in the round of sixteen. They they took them to extra time, which I don't think pretty much anyone would have predicted from Austria. But you know they 
they are a solid team that deserves a little bit more credit than they were getting before this tournament, I think. All right. Well, why don't you take us to Group D that features England? Oh, no, actually, let's talk about uh, the standings for the last two groups. Belgium right. uh, won uh, the Group B, nine points. Denmark, Finland, Russia was the order of Group B. Group C was the Netherlands, then Austria, then Ukraine. Uh, both Austria and Ukraine advanced second and third. North Macedonia was the unlucky loser in Group C. Jack, now, why don't you head over to Group D? Well, biggest story from, or let me go over the order first. Yeah. England on top with seven, Croatia and Czech Republic with four each, Croatia in second over Czech Republic though, and Scotland with one point. And the biggest thing from this game, or from this group, has to be England were solid, but not spectacular. That That's, mm-hmm. I think, the big that's thing. That's fair. Because, yes, they finished top of the group. Sure. Sure, they didn't concede any goals. But they only scored two. And with the attacking talent they have, you know, Harry Kane, uh, Jaden Sancho, who was on the bench the entire tournament, Jack Grealish, Raheem Sterling, who did score both of their goals, Phil Foden, uh, Mason Mount, all of that, for, for scoring two goals, that, that's, that, that's ridiculous. And getting a, a goalless draw against Scotland was who finished bottom in the group that that was mm-hmm. that that was pretty bad and honestly i would be shocked if england have an early exit because this tournament has not been good and as i've repeated several times it's because of southgate he messed yes. up he messed up an international tournament for england as a player and now he looks set to do it as a manager completing the double yeah. so uh that that's i think the big story from that but also Czech Republic. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's what I've got to say for, for that, because I think we both predicted them to finish dead last in this group. I believe so. I, yeah. I think we, I know I did at least. And I was like, I don't think they're going to get any points. And then, and then they tore again, tore apart Scotland. They, they put up a good fight against England and Croatia again, uh, against England drew against Croatia. Saw a very solid performance by them. And it comes down to Patrick Schick. Who's yeah. been fantastic this entire tournament and scored in the round of 16 today? And it, it was just a fantastic performance by the Czech Republic, who, you know, I know you like a lot of their players, uh, specifically mm-hmm. new West, uh, upcoming West Ham legend, Thomas Sucha. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, uh, it, it was a surprisingly solid performance from them. And, you know, they have a decent chance at making the semifinals, which is yeah, absolutely crazy, crazy really, to I'm, think about. I'm really happy. The Czech Republic have about a 50-50 chance, really, to make it through. Yeah. I'm really excited about that. I'm really excited to yeah, talk about anything group. Anything to add? Oh, no. I, I, I was just going to say, like, I, I think you, you pulled it together really nicely there. I, I don't think there's really any other storylines in Group D other than Scotland kind of letting us down there. Uh, group E... Uh, just real quickly, I'll talk about Sweden's yeah. kind of defensive stability there. Uh, I, I think they had, yeah, they held Spain goalless despite their huge XG against. They got gutsy wins against Slovakia and Poland. And from my under, what I understand, that's just how Sweden play. That's how they're able to punch up uh, above their weight class. They're able to uh, able to not concede as many goals and kind of focus on that defensive stability so they can strike back when it, when they need to. 
I will also say Poland are kind of one-dimensional. Outside of Lewandowski, what else could they really offer? They didn't bring enough. And once Lewandowski was marked out and the midfield was won by the other team, they didn't really have another game plan to turn to. And that was really rough for them. Jack, anything else to add from Group E where Sweden was on top, Spain second, Slovakia, unfortunately for you, got to third, wasn't able to become one of the lucky winners in a group uh, in the, the third place teams and Poland last. Anything else to add to that group? I mean, uh, you, you didn't talk about them much, but Spain, disappointing. Yes. Except for the final game. That, that last game was very good for them, but disappointing otherwise. Uh, and then Slovakia, problem, this, this, problem, this makes a lot of sense. I mean, I probably should have seen it coming, but, but I will say, I said they'd finish third. You yeah. said no way. So you know what? <laughs> I'll take a little bit. A moral victory. A moral, a moral victory. victory. Yeah. So there we go. I, I pro- <laughs> Can I, I, I'll just get a button that says Slovakia didn't advance, but at least I predicted they'd finish third and not less. Yeah. That's man. That, that that's true. I will put my hands up and say you were right about that. Even if they didn't qualify to the next rounds, Group F, Jack. Yeah, with I your, also did say they'd qualify for the next round. So yeah, so so maybe it's a a fifty fifty win for the both of us. All right, fifty fifty. Jack, take us to Group F with your favorite team, France. How did they do? What was the storylines here? It was a very crazy, crazy group. Group of death. Take us there. Well, I, I'm actually not going to start at the top. I'm going to start at the bottom of this group because Hungary, I think, blew away a lot of people because they beat every expectation. Yeah. They, they drew against Germany and France and didn't play bad against Portugal either. Like, I, I wouldn't, if you, if you told me they had won that game, that in like a, a slightly different world, they win that game, I, w- I would have said, yeah, that makes sense. Like, you know, I, I, I think they were a solid team. And, a little bit better than a lot of people gave him credit for. And also then I want to move on to the other ones, Portugal. Yeah. They, they deserve to be out of this tournament after, after the performance, it, it wasn't good. The only, the only thing that kept them together was well, two players, Bernardo Sanchez, who was brilliant when he was actually playing in the midfield. And then of course, Cristiano Pinaldo, uh, Ronaldo. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yes, he is the top scorer in the tournament, but four of those are off of penalties. So, you know, I'm not, <laughs> they're, they're really being held together by him and also simultaneously being held back by him. Right. And then finally, France, very, very good, very good, but not spectacular performance. Right. They didn't really kick into their top gear. And I'm hoping they do soon enough because I'm kind of getting worried about it. <laughs> I would like to see them hit that top gear because I know it's possible for them. So we'll see what happens. But I also do have to kind of throw my hands up and say, Benzema wasn't as bad for France as I thought he'd be. Well, sad. to, to your credit, sad. he wasn't great in the first two games, but he really pulled it together against Portugal at the end. Yeah. Yeah. He heard me talking smack about him. That's obviously what happened. Yeah, exactly. He, he, exactly. He, he watches this podcast regularly yeah. uh, and uses it to fuel him it, to, for goals actually. Uh, so fun fact. Yeah. And of course, group F finished with France on top, uh, Germany second, Portugal third, they advanced to the next round, didn't get to the quarterfinals and Hungary with two points was last place. 
Let's quickly go over the bracket. Not going to go too much into it. Just give our quick takes on the paths for some of these teams. So Belgium already beat Portugal there. Belgium is in the quarterfinals. They're meeting against Italy, who beat Austria 2-1 to one in extra time. What a crazy match that was. Belgium and Italy is going to play in the quarterfinals on the 2nd of July. It's going to be a big match. Uh, but staying on that side of the bracket, we still have some round of 16 matches that are going to conclude in the next two days. France versus Switzerland and Croatia versus Spain. On the other side of the bracket, we have two round of 16 matches that are yet to be played. Sweden versus Ukraine. The battle of the blue and yellow flags. England versus Germany. Uh, some uh, political and footballing tension there. And we also had two round of 16 matches that have already been played. Czech, uh, Czech Republic beat Netherlands 2-0 to zero to advance to the next stage, as well as Denmark routing Wales 4-0 to zero to set up a matchup in the quarterfinals between Czech Republic and Denmark. Uh, right off the bat, I'm just going to say it really simply, England's side of the bracket is much easier. You have England and Germany that need to be played. And after that, after the winner of that matchup, it's, I wouldn't say a cakewalk because obviously like these, these two teams that they're going to go up against Sweden and Ukraine aren't like, aren't like the underdogs that everyone necessarily wants them to be. Uh, But when you look at it, the only other top 10 team in FIFA rankings on this side of the bracket is a Christian Eriksen list Denmark. And who knows if they can even make it past Czech Republic. I think they, possibly can but there's a lot of things that are up in the air because of that meanwhile on the other side of the bracket belgium and italy two giants two serious contenders are facing off in the quarterfinals and guess what they get to play uh one of france switzerland croatia and spain and i want to say it's either going to be uh france or croatia or france or spain that is a huge amount of talent on one side of the bracket they have four fifa top 10 teams on that side of the bracket. And those four could potentially be the quarterfinalists. Jack, how are you feeling about you know, France's chance? Obviously, because you, you're cheering for France, but just this bracket in general. I mean, I like, I like half of it. It produces yeah. some really exciting matchups. Uh, but then the other half just has some kind of meh matchups. I mean, Czech Republic for De- versus Denmark could be really interesting. Yeah, yeah. Not the most exciting, though, but... Uh, you know, I'm looking forward to it, really. Um, and also, I, I want to ask you, I'll, I'll say mine as well. Who do you have going to the finals and who do you think wins? Oh, man. A- after this, I mean, I feel like everyone's hopping on the Italy bandwagon, so I want to avoid that. But honestly, I'm going to go with... I'm going to go with France on the top side of the bracket and on the south side of the bracket, I guess you could call it. Oh, man. Honestly, I'm going to say it. I'm going to go with Denmark just, just for the lols. Oh, okay. Okay. That, that's, I, honestly, I can, I can see it. They have a pretty – they don't have the hardest of runs into it. Uh, but I'm going for uh, France on one side, obviously. Got to back them. Back, uh, back France. And then – uh, on the other side, I'm going for Germany. So the last Ooh. two World Cup winners facing off. And, of course, I'm going to go for France winning it overall. All right, yeah. Well, I, I should say, if, if that matchup would happen, I and, and I'm not totally convinced that it will, I'll, I'll also have <laughs> France. Uh, and with that, that, that concludes our Euro talk. Let's quickly go over some two news stories before we move on to the other things. 
we had the away goals in Champions League or just in Europe in general being abolished. Jack, in one word, good or bad, and why do you think so? Good, because it doesn't make sense that goals matter more based off of where they're scored. Okay, that's fair. I... I don't know because there there are some like very fun and like exciting underdog wins that came from away goals. But at the same time, like you said, is a draw really indicative of how a team play? Like should a, a draw really advance a team? I don't think so. Uh, and then the second news story would be MLS's uh, division three got officially announced uh, the connection between MLS next and the MLS uh, first team. Jack, in a word, good or bad, this is going to be full of, uh, it's a a reserve league with MLS and some other uh, independent teams. We've kind of talked about this. So in a word, good or bad and why? I'm going to break the rules a little bit uh, and say good idea, bad execution. Basically, it, it does seem like a good idea getting these like reserve teams more action and stuff like that. But on the other hand, it, it's going to draw away from a lot of the charm of local soccer. And, you know, as both of us being fans of local soccer, we don't want that. Yes. Very, very true. I, I tweeted about this uh, when we were talking about it, but the reserve league is fine. I think reserve leagues are good and they serve a very specific purpose. I was watching some of the MLS next cup, which is like the development academies, I guess that replaced the USDA. They were having a kind of a cup tournament with some of the, the best teams. And I was watching, I was like, this is like really good. Like, cause they get to play against uh, players of similar quality and, you know, see who's the best. And that was from U 15s to U 19s. I, I really enjoyed watching it. However, it's closed off. It's just MLS teams and some independent teams. I feel like people wouldn't have an issue with it if it was, USL, if it was open to NISA, if it was open to some NPSL who have NPSL reserve teams, that would be completely fine because it would be open. Instead, there's kind of like this, MLS is just looking out for themselves and I don't really jive with that. It's We're yet to see whether away goals or this developmental league is a failure or a success. So that's why we're only just covering like the basics of it. We're going to talk about it in the future. Hey, everyone. It's actually past AJ here because Jack's on a vacation. I decided to record this segment uh, separately. And so here I am. Usually this is the U.S. men's national team corner. But for this week, it's the U.S. women's national team corner because not a lot going in the men's world. And, you know, we like to talk about women's soccer here. So why not talk about the Olympic roster that just got announced this past week? As everyone knows, the Tokyo 2020 Olympics is happening this year, one year late, and the women's uh, soccer tournament is the second most prestigious tournament in women's world soccer. And there are three groups of four, the top two teams in each group, and the two best third place teams will qualify to the quarterfinals and it'll play out just like a regular tournament. U.S. Women's National Team crashed out early in the knockout rounds last uh last olympics in rio in 2016 so they're hoping to come back hopefully win gold on the roster you can only take 18 players so very very limited pool of players you can choose from and what i believe is four alternates so alternates you can call on in case i don't know something happens to those players and so i thought we'd go through the roster talk about some trends that i'm seeing as a u.s women's national team fan so let's just get into it goalkeepers that we took we've taken two 
uh, Alyssa Nahir and Adriana French. Um, just off the bat, very stock uh, options, both very good. Defenders, Becky Sauerbrunn, who is going to be the captain, Kelly O'Hara, Crystal Dunn, Abby Dahlkemper, Emily Sonnet, and Tierna Davidson. Obviously, the names that really stand out there are obviously Sauerbrunn, O'Hara, and especially Crystal Dunn, who has really, really found a place for herself on this team. In the defense uh, position, which is not usually where she plays for her club team of Portland Thorns, but that is where Vlatko plays her, and she's pretty effective as, a, I believe, a left back for the team. In the midfield, we have Julie Ertz, Lindsay Horan, Sam Mewis, and Christy Mewis, the Mewis sisters, and Rose Lavelle, who scored in the World Cup final just two years ago. In the forward positions, we have Carly Lloyd, Alex Morgan, Megan Rapino, and Tobin Heath, and Kristen Press, I should mention. I don't know why I forgot Kristen Press. She's my favorite uh, U.S. Women's National Team player, so I don't know why I forgot her. And those are the 18 players. The alternates are Jane Campbell, who is a goalkeeper, Casey Kruger, who is a defender, uh, Katerina Macario, who is a, a midfielder, and our forward that we're, uh, that is our alternate is Lynn Williams of North Carolina Courage. Right off the bat, a pretty good name uh, names that we have on this list. Notable exclusions that I did note. Midge Purse, who was not even an alternate, is killing it for Gotham FC as a forward or well, Vlatko sometimes plays her as a defender. So I, I think she would bring a lot of dynamism to this team. So to see her not even named as an alternate is kind of mind blowing in my in my mind. Lynn Williams, who is an alternate. North Carolina Courage is a forward and Katerina Macario, I believe I'm pronouncing that right, is also an alternate for Leon and is a midfielder. I probably, if I was Vladko, would have included them and taken out some of the older guard just so we can have some really dynamic players in the in the attack and in the midfield who, even if they're not necessarily starters off the bench, can add a lot when legs are tired at the end of the game. And as I alluded to, the takeaways I got from this uh, roster is that this is an older team. Like, undeniably, the U.S. Women's National Team has been trending older for the past couple of years. And I guess, like, when you are on top uh, of the FIFA World Rankings, when you are the best women's team in the world, of course, you're going to lean towards experience who uh, these players have been here. So, of course, that's normal. But when you look at the stats, it's kind of mind-blowing because the average player on this roster, on this 18-woman roster is 111 caps per player. That's the average caps that each player has. That's that's mind-blowing because 111 is obviously big. But when you really look past that, that signals that a lot of these players are over 30, have relatively tired legs. I mean, you have older players like Lloyd, Rapino, Heath, Sauerbrunn. All of the forwards are over the age of 30. Now, that's not to say that they are past their prime some of them are still in their prime some of them are still i'd say all of them are still uh, very very po uh, possible i don't even know what i'm saying very likely to add to this team however there comes a point where maybe the roster is just too old or you're leaning on experience too much that's what a lot of u.s women's national team fans are saying there are a total of 10 of 18 players on this roster over the age of 30 and just one player under the age of 23, and Tierna Davidson. This is an experienced and kind of a conservative team. It's not very experimental. We're kind of leaning on players 
that we have leaned on before. And there's also the question of injured players. Heath and Julie Ertz are coming back from injury, are still a little bit in that rehab stage. So the fact that we took them, I know that they're very good players, but it kind of signals that Vladko is leaning on experience so much that he's willing to almost sacrifice uh, playing it a bit more experimental and instead leaning on players, even if they're injured, just because they are experienced. The key players I see that will make or break this team, other than the goalkeepers, of course, the, the outfield players, Sauerbrunn, Crystal Dunn, Rose Lavelle, the Mua sisters, uh, Christy, who I'm a, a huge fan of, and Sam, obviously, Carly Lloyd, Press, and Morgan. Even if some of those names are old, they will dictate whether or not we can get the gold medal. And going off that, the main point in this entire roster is that we are not a plucky underdog team anymore. We are the grizzled world champions who has to continuously defend their championship belt from teams that are hungry. Japan, Canada, Brazil, the Netherlands, and Sweden, who are in our group, they want that gold medal. They know that they can beat us. We have a limited roster to choose from and only two days of rest between group stage games and knockout stage games. So can this team, especially the older forwards, recover enough to not be fatigued game after game? We aren't integrating our youth as much as the fans want. And even though, you know, we possibly can like get the gold medal in this tournament, if it doesn't work out, that's the first thing that fans are going to point out. The fact that we didn't have any youthful players, we relied on the old guard. And at some point in the near future, maybe not this tournament, maybe in uh, our CONCACAF games or in the next World Cup, we need to do a huge reset and go for the 20-somethings because these, these players are not getting any younger. The way that I see it, I think we are definitely in the contention to get a gold medal, probably one of the favorites, but it is not out of the question that we can get eliminated early because this is a very, very quick tournament and you need to be on top of your game Game after game, fatigue needs to be not even a question because you just need to get it. You just need to like be on on top and you need to refresh those legs. Use your subs. Very, very smart. We open this tournament against a very tough opponent in Sweden. Uh, that is our first group stage game. Our other group members are Australia, who can be a very tough opponent and New Zealand. I do think we get out of the group. But whether we can really topple the other contenders like Japan or Brazil or the Netherlands, that remains to be seen. We have been here before. We have won gold. We are the world champions. But whether or not, two years after the fact, can we win this tournament now? That is a question that needs to be answered. In my opinion, we have regressed a little bit as a team, just based on how old players are getting since 2019. I think we are a better team compared to 2016 when we crashed out in the knockout stages. But with how weird this tournament is, with how weird COVID has been, with how weird this entire season has been for uh, NWSL, U.S. Women's National Team, it's not out of the question that we can lose this tournament. I think it's... I think it's like honestly fairly likely I'd like to see us win, but it all comes down to whether or not these older players can stay fresh and not injured.
And that's my take. Uh, I will preview the Olympics much more when the time comes. We're probably going to do a huge deep dive on the men's and women's side. So, yeah, let's get back to the show. That was the U.S. Women's National Team Corner. Uh, we'll see you guys next week for women's or men's, honestly. Let's open it up. Yeah. All right, this is actually future AJ now. After we recorded the majority of the episode, Jack wasn't able to stay too long, so we didn't actually record the last week's predictions together. So I'm just going to go over last week's predictions how those went, kind of go over the summary of them. The way that this game works is that if you get the exact, exact score line right between uh, two teams, you get 20 points. If you just get the result right, so if you predict a, a three to nil win for one team, but it was a two to one nil for them, you get 10 points. And of course, zero points if you get nothing correct. Uh, the first game that we predicted was Portugal versus France in the Euro group stages. This ended two to two. And it was a pretty exciting end to the group stages. Lloris made a massive mistake in the 30th minute, punching Danilo while going for a corner, which Ronaldo converted. It was a penalty, and Ronaldo, obviously, Pinaldo converted. Then 11 minutes later, Mbappe was taken down in the box, and Benzema converted just before halftime. Then Benzema, after halftime, scored just two minutes into the second half. But Akunde and uh, Jack wrote down, he, he's the one that wrote down the summary for this. He said, please stop playing him at right back Deschamps. Funny note, he, uh, Koundé handballed the ball and gave Ronaldo another penalty, which he converted. France probably should have had another penalty as Fernandez stomped on Komen's Achilles. That penalty, I will say, should have been uh, probably a penalty. And Mbappe getting taken down the box for the first penalty might not actually be as like convincing as a, for a penalty shout. I mean, Mbappe, to be completely fair, did dive. The entire commentary team said it was a penalty. This talking about Fernandez stomping on Komen's Achilles. Uh, yet nothing was given, and probably it was the most inconsistent refereeing of the group stage. It ended two to two, as I said. Jack and I both backed France to win. I said one to zero. Jack said two to one for zero points for the both of us. Second game was Spain versus Slovakia. Get another Euro group stage match. This ended pretty roughly for Jack and other Slovakian fans. A penalty was called for Spain in the 10th minute, but in classic Morata fashion, he hits it too close to Dubraka, who makes a wonderful save to keep it 0-0. Oh, Morata, how you miss every single time. But then, Serabia of Spain, hopefully I pronounced that right, hits the crossbar, it bounces up, and Dubraka, in trying to punch the ball away, smashes it right into his net for a terrible, terrible own goal. Goals from Laporta, Sarabia, Torres, and another own goal, this time from Juraj Kuka, elevated Spain to a dominating 5-0 win. A lot of Slovakian fans are blaming the coach for a subpar lineup, and maybe they're right, because they did tie for the biggest loss in European Championship history. That's a yikes for me. Spain eventually finished second in Group E and will play Croatia in the round of 16, and Slovakia got third place but didn't get high enough points to qualify for the knockout rounds. I said 1-0 for Slovakia because I'm an idiot. Got zero points. Jack really held out hope for Slovakia to get a 1-1 draw. He gets also zero points. Next game is Brazil versus Colombia in the Copa America. The group stages ended up two to one for Brazil. And Jack also wrote this. He said, Varzil barely triumphed over Colombia. And honestly, 
Colombia deserved the win. I will agree with that. A beautiful bicycle kick by Luis Diaz in the 10th minute. Literally, if you haven't seen it, go watch it. Gave Colombia the lead, which they protected until the 77th minute. Brazil collected the ball, uh, uh, hitting the referee, which looked like it should have been called for a drop ball. But whatever, for some reason it wasn't. Colombia protected, f- protested for minutes, but the ref didn't seem to care. This led to 10 minutes of stoppage time, which Brazil scored at the very end of. Symbolic refereeing, in my opinion. That's Jack's opinion. Uh, I will say it, it wasn't a great showing uh, by both Colombia and the refs, but it, it's, a, it's a game that has Brazil in Brazil. What did you expect? Jack and I both correctly predicted that Brazil would win this, but I said 3-0 three to, three to zero for 10 points, and Jack, 3-1 to one for 10 points as well. Inter-Miami versus Orlando City was the uh, fourth matchup that we predicted. Ended up 2-1 to one for Orlando City. In a huge rivalry match, it was Orlando City that came out on top. Orlando came into this game tired. This was their third game in seven days. And despite falling back to a Gonzalo Higuain long-distance effort, they were able to rally back with a Chris Mueller half-volley assisted by Nani. And a Nani long-distance golazo. He scored another goal of his own. And Nani, I will just say, has been huge for this team, getting nine goal contributions in eight games. He is undoubtedly an MVP candidate. Orlando win against their Florida rivals 2-1. They're now in second place in the easy in the East with 21 points, and Inter-Miami sink down to four losses in a row in 12th place. Jack and I both predicted Orlando to win. I said 3-1 for 10 points. Jack said 2-0 for 10 points. And the final matchup that we predicted was Austin FC versus Columbus Crew in MLS. This is a huge rivalry game between Austin FC and the team that Austin tried to take away from their home, Columbus Crew. It was the second game of Austin FC's opening of Q2 Stadium, so they're really excited trying to get a a win to open up for the first time Q2 Stadium with a goal and a win because they have not neither won nor scored a goal. And that continued because this was a pretty drab 0-0 draw in Austin in Q2 Stadium. Not a lot of uh, things happened. Brad Stuver came up big for Austin FC. In fact, Eloy Room, uh, who's the other goalkeeper for Columbus Crew, both those goalkeepers came up huge. I think if I really had to say, I think Austin FC deserved it more. If you could really say like they deserved it more, but they played very well. Just the attack was not there. They got some good chances, but they just could not finish. Ended up 0-0. Uh, our guest last week, our Thursday episode, uh, Francisco of Twin Oaks TV, he predicted a draw. He was right. He would have gotten the 10 points. But I said 2-1 to one for Columbus. Jack said 2-0, Dos Acero for Columbus. And that did not pan out. It was a pretty, it was an exciting match, but it ended up being 0-0. Jack finished this game with 20 points, and I finished with 20 points as well for a draw. All right, well, let's go on to next week's predictions. Unfortunately, last week's predictions ended in a tie. Let's quickly go over the games for this week. We're beginning with Uruguay versus Paraguay. We weren't able to really talk about the Copa Americas quarterfinals that are coming up because we simply have uh, just the way that the games worked. Some of the, 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 the South Zone games still have to be played. So we're talking about some of the group matchups that are happening on Monday, starting off with Uruguay and Paraguay. Jack, who is taking Uruguay and Paraguay? Ooh, this, this is this is a little bit of a tough one because Paraguay are technically doing better in this group, and they had a very good win this past uh, week, 
this past week, yeah, against Chile. But ultimately, I'm going to go for Uruguay on this one. They're going to want the points because they want to avoid Brazil. And I, th- I think they can do it. I, I think they have talent. They really started to show glimpses of it in their last game against Bolivia. I mean, sure, it was against Bolivia, but they showed, they showed that they have that attacking talent still. They had a beautiful goal by Cavani. I think they can do it. And I think they can, that all they really have to do is, uh, is contain uh, Almiron and it should be good. So I'm going to go for Uruguay to Paraguay one. Okay, well, I actually have the exact opposite scoreline. This is a huge matchup. It's going to decide how the South Zone really turns out. Both these teams get first through fourth, and it's going to be an important open matchup because of that. Uruguay hasn't lost to Paraguay in the past 10 years, and I want to say that continues, but Uruguay has had trouble scoring. They've only scored one non-own goal, which is pretty bad after three games. And Paraguay has undeniably been the third or fourth best team this tournament. They beat, they lost to Argentina, but managed to win against Chile. So I'm going to say it's going to be an upset because I think Almiron can possibly replicate his form against Chile against Uruguay. And this could turn into an upset. I'm going to go with a two to one win for Paraguay. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, let's move on to England versus Germany. Uh, Jack, how is this matchup between two historical footballing giants going to turn out? Who's going to advance to the next round? Well, you know, both of these teams were okay enough in the group stage. Germany, I think, was a little bit better. England, their attack has not clicked for whatever reason. Germany, their attack was roaring with Havertz, Muller, uh, Gnabry all all playing really well. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Germany three, England two. For oh, wow. an exciting five goal match, you know, just because, you know, that then you can predict the zero zero, get the easy points, you know, yeah. how it works. I'm not going to go for the easy points because I'm going with a one nil win for England. It's a huge round of 16 matchup, probably the, the, going to be the most looked forward to, I would think, with the winner playing the winner of Sweden or Ukraine. And the narrative of this match, Jack, I saw this crazy stat. England have not won a knockout round matchup in the Euros for the past 53 years. That is crazy. So the big question is, can England get the ball upfield with intent and not just play the safe pass every time? They've only scored two goals this tournament and gotten a a shutout by Scotland. That's pretty bad. It's all going to be about letting the attacking talent attack the way that they want to. Germany's attack is good, but they've scored six goals this tournament and let in five, including two, to Hungary. So can England take advantage? Yes, but barely. I think they break their 53-year curse by a very dicey 1-0 goal. It's probably going to be like just barely offside, but for some reason the refs don't catch it, and England get off scot-free, and they go on to the quarterfinals. That's how I see it. And with that, I said 1-0. You said Two to three for Germany or, or England? For Germany. For Germany. Okay. Okay. Well, ooh, that some exciting like differential uh, choices here. Let's see if that continues with Belgium versus Italy, also in the European Championship. This time, a quarterfinal, one of the last uh, confirmed quarterfinal, or one of the first confirmed quarterfinals. 
if you watch the Belgium and Portugal game, you see how exhausted everyone was. That's some serious fatigue that's going to play in Italy's favor. Italy has the depth. They ran out their B team against Wales in their last group stage match. And more importantly, against Austria, Chieska, Locatelli, or Chiesa, Chiesa, Locatelli, and Bellatoli were substitutes. They didn't play the majority of the match, and that's a lot of good players getting lots and lots of rest. Even worse, Belgium lost Eden Hazard and Kevin De Bruyne to injury. Those are some of their best players, potentially unavailable. That's terrible. Even though I bet on Belgium to win it all, it, there's just so much going against them right now. So I'm so sorry, Belgian fans. I'm going with Italy to win this 2-0. Jack, who is taking this quarterfinal matchup? I'm going pretty similar to you. I'm saying Italy win it as well. They've been really strong. But for some reason, I'm just not sure if they'll keep a clean sheet this time. And okay. I, I, for some reason, I feel like Torgan and Zard will score again for the third game in a row to make it. So I'm going to go for Italy 2, Belgium 1. All right. Well, I'll have you continue the Euro Championship quarterfinal previews. We have another confirmed matchup between Czech Republic and Denmark. Underdog story. Who is going to be the, the most under of underdogs? Well, Czech Republic and Denmark have both had very good tournaments so far, all things considered. Czech Republic and Denmark both finished third. Both pulled off probably upset wins, I think, over uh over Wales and the Netherlands. Ultimately, though, Denmark just has a feel-good aspect around them, and their team is playing so well. They've scored eight goals in their last two matches, which is incredible. The Czech Republic, they've been pretty good, but they've also only scored two goals in their last matches. They were aided by a red card against the Netherlands and looked to be heading for a draw before that, really. I'm going to go Denmark win this... I'm going to say three to one. I'm going to say okay. three to one. I have very similar thoughts on this. Czech Republic, I like them. Kind of got lucky. Denmark, kind of, uh, still still pretty good, but I don't think their form is very sustainable. So I think it's going to be a very open matchup. I'm going with three to two for uh, Denmark. Our last game we're covering is Orlando Pride versus North Carolina Courage. We're going back to the NWSL uh, for this last matchup. These are the two best teams dueling it out. Orlando is on 15 points and North Carolina is at 13. However, North Carolina are undoubtedly on better form, winning their last three games, including against title contenders Portland Thorns. They've been led by a name that U.S. Women's National Team fans know well, Lynn Williams, who is only an alternative for the Summer Olympics. She scored three in two games, and she's just an insane talent. Orlando, however, haven't lost against North Carolina in four games, but have only won one game in the four games against bottom feeders, Kansas City. If I'm predicting this match, I'm really looking at how evenly matched this is, and it's really coming down to their attack. Alex Morgan, Marta, Sydney LaRue for Orlando, and Dabinia, Sam Mewis, and Lynn Williams for North Carolina. I think even those talents really cancel each other out. I'm going for a 1-1 draw between the two title contenders in NWSL. Jack, how do you view this matchup? You know what? I'm going to go bold for the last one. I'm going to say North Carolina take control of this title race and pull off a win over Orlando Pride. You know, like you said, the form, North Carolina's form has been great. Orlando Pride has been pretty meh, really. Yeah. including that that uh, that recent loss that they had, which was not all that great against the Houston Dash, which, right. you know, 
they're in seven. That's not a great, that's not a great result. So yeah. I'm going to go for North Carolina to get a one zero win. I'm, I'm okay. not sure if I really back them to shut out the Orlando attack, but you know what? I'm going to go for a bold prediction there. All right. So those are our predictions for this week. Jack, how are you feeling? Do you feel like we had some, some differences in the first two games? Do you think that it will pan out in your favor? Well, you know, since I've been traveling, I haven't done as much research on this, so I'm not as confident as usual, I've got to say. All right. All right. Well, I'm feeling pretty confident. Hopefully I can uh, get back to winning ways after a loss and a tie the past two weeks. But with that, Jack, why don't you tell the audience where they can find us on the social medias? Yeah. Make sure to check out our Twitter and Instagram at Final Third Show on both platforms. And, you know, uh, keep keep up to date with everything we're, we're trying to plan out. Keep up to date with our takes on the Euros and Copa America. You don't want to miss it. And, yeah, make sure, make sure to click that follow button and stay up to date. Yeah. Well, let's get Jack back to his vacation. Uh, don't forget to follow us and rate us whenever you listen to us on our podcasting platforms of choice. Go tell a friend that you enjoy the show. Go tell your dad even. I'm sure he would love to talk about the Euros with us. And with that, we'll see you guys this Thursday for our deep dive episode. And next Monday, same time, same place for our news and predictions episode. See ya. Bye for now.